All right, come on in and grab a seat. Rob, how are we looking out there? Are people heading this way? Do we need you to? Do we need to send you out with the uh, with the whip? Not any good with cats. Normally, normally when I send Daniel over to ring the bell, he 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 rings it with authority, so people hear it. All right, come on in and grab a seat. All right, let me, uh, let me get us started by praying for us and asking the Lord to bless our time together. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you once again for this new day that you've given to us. It is a day that you've set apart for us to be glad and to enjoy you and to worship you. And so we are thankful for the opportunity to do that. Thank you this morning for the opportunity of also hearing from Bill Carr. Uh, we thank you for the way that you have been at work in his life over many years, serving you so faithfully and so well. We thank you now that we get to uh, hear about that great work that you've been doing in him and through him to bless uh, and also being able to receive um, the fruit of that labor uh, in our own area of the country now. So we pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to be encouraged by uh, the ways that you are at work and uh, help us to learn how we might glorify you in greater ways, uh, including through our ministry at Crow Creek. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're already here for the first service, then you know we have a guest with us today, Bill Carr. Pastor Bill Carr is with us. Um, I'll just mention quickly what I mentioned in the first service, that uh, it is God's providence as we have uh, come to know Bill and Susan and uh, their work uh, that the Lord has brought them to do um, and how that in some way may, uh, down the road, dovetail very nicely with what we are doing at Crow Creek. And uh, we're just delighted to have the opportunity to pray and to listen and to see how God might be at work uh, to bring our, our lives together in that way. Um, but I asked Bill to, to use Sunday school time uh, just to basically to talk to us about um, uh, how he has been uh, used by the Lord in various ways. And uh, I'm sure that somehow he'll also bring in uh, the work that he's doing up in northern Minnesota. So, Bill. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Can you hear me okay? Um, that we can do something about. If you can't understand me, I can't do anything about that. Um, I am Bill Carr. This is my wife, Susan. And you might detect from the accent that we are from the south. We're from the upper northeastern portion of Tennessee, where Susan and I met in a navigator ministry in college and subsequently were married and uh, uh, became involved in PCA Church. Now, I was a school teacher, and Susan was too, until, well, I taught for about 10 years until the Lord started doing some unusual things in our lives. And we wound up going to Australia for a couple of years to help plant churches there. And then I realized that when we got back that we were kind of at a crossroads of not knowing exactly where to go or exactly what to do. And so I wound up going to seminary. And after that, uh, it seemed a very natural transition for us because we found out that we, we could go overseas and actually survive. Um, that we would look at the mission field and we were involved in South Africa for a number of years doing um, 
theological education, children's ministry, serving as team leader, and just various odds and ends while we were there. But, you know, I'm convinced of this verse here. Can you guys see that okay, or do we need to kill some lights? Um, There we go. I'm convinced, the older I get, of the truth of this verse. Man makes the plans, but God directs the steps. Had you asked me... Uh, where I would be right now, I would probably be uh, in the second year of my fourth term in South Africa. Now, just to tell you a little bit about that, we, uh, we were in Johannesburg for the most of the time. Johannesburg was a sprawling metropolitan area with a lot of problems. At one time it was considered the murder and the rape capital of the world. Uh, We dealt with that for two full terms. And we were able to do, as as I said, theological education for African nationals and, and just all sorts of work there in the Johannesburg area. Now, it wasn't always like that. Uh, Our last term, we got to go to Cape Town, uh, where I worked as team leader there for a while and uh, did theological education. Susan was involved in a children's ministry, ministering to the poorest of the poor kids in a particular ministry down there. So that's what we were doing in South Africa. Again, I think God also has surprises for us. But again, one thing I'm convinced of is that man makes the plans, but God directs the steps. Now, I told you that from my estimation, I should be in South Africa where it's nice and warm and sunny. And uh, but God had a little bit different plan. Welcome to Bemidji uh, for this southern soul Uh, We found it a little difficult to get used to at first. (laughs) So we're involved in Native American ministry, um, mission to the world because of our educational backgrounds and because of their new involvement, really, in church planting. Uh, We we, we have a um, church planter uh, working with the Lummi tribe in Bellingham, Washington, a brand new work. We have a church planter in Cherokee, North Carolina. Again, a brand new work. We will perhaps have a church planting work in Canada. So, you see, we're putting the church planting works into place. But how do we train the leaders? More about that. Let me illustrate it with this point. Whenever I first came to um, to Bemidji... I began preaching at a little Native American congregation, a little Native American church. I did that for about a year and a half. Now, you can't tell it by looking at this building. Uh, It looks pretty nice from there. But more about that building in just a moment. um, Now, I'll tell you now. The building was, if you went inside... The ceiling was soft and soggy. The whole backside of the building, which you cannot see, was kind of off. All the siding was off. The thing was deteriorating. Uh, the the um, plumbing no longer worked. It had frozen in the winter. They had gas heat. Uh, there wasn't any money to, to buy uh, gas to fill the thing up. Um, and uh, down in the basement where we would have fellowship uh, lunches every Sunday... There was black mold. There was 
evidence of where, lots of evidence of where the mice had been. And uh, it, it was just a situation that was deteriorating. Now, I sent out a newsletter describing this, and I had church at PCA churches offering to pump lots of money into this building to get it to bring it up to snuff, so to speak. But you know, that really wasn't the problem. Those were symptoms. That really was not the problem. Let me introduce you to two-thirds of the congregation here, including my wife. Uh, in the middle, you see a lady named Karen Moses. Karen is the widow of the former pastor there. And beside her is Violet Harper. Violet is the widow of a former elder there. You see, what happened was within about a three-year period, every bit of the leadership of this congregation died. All the men were out. And so the sheep began to scatter. And you had Violet, and you had Karen, and you had Karen's mother, Frida, that would be at church almost, well, they would be there every Sunday. Occasionally, we'd have a man come through every once in a while. There were two or three men that might show up once in a blue moon, you know. Um, so the real problem was a lack of leadership. And guess what? For whatever reason, as the Christian leaders die from the previous generation, there seems to be no one to replace them. And so we know from the scripture that for lack of vision, people perish. It's just the way it is. And so we see with the Native American church, we see it dying. Well, if we're going to see this situation turn around... Again, man makes the plans, but God directs the steps, right? If we're going to see this situation come around, we will have to make an intentional effort to try and train Christian leaders. Um, little stats up here, 4.3 million uh, individuals are Native American in the, uh, you know, in the Americas. And of that, over 2.1 million, you know, a little under half, are below the age of 24, now, I'm able to connect dots sometimes, and I can add two and two. But, you know, if we do that, and we consider those first two things, where is the natural place for us to target if we're going to see leaders being made for the Native American church? It's with the youth, with the young people that are up and coming. But... Native American youth are faced with a number of problems. Alcohol mortality rates are higher than peer groups across the United States. These, you know, the people that are killed from alcohol-related deaths. Um, and it is roughly not 5% higher, not 51% higher, but 514% higher for Native American youth than from their peer groups across. As a matter of fact, I have one student that actually died um, of an alcohol-related death. But fortunately, they were able to resuscitate him, and then the Lord got hold of him. That's another story. Um, suicide rates. You know, I was told that in Pine Ridge, this past year, there were 
over 200 attempted suicides. I have a student that I taught at Oak Hills Christian College, and his brother was at Mocha Ministry Center. Um, both of them had their struggle with alcohol. Both of them had their struggle with uh, suicidal tendencies. They had three older brothers that committed suicide. The oldest one at Oak Hills College, I was teaching a course in Psalms for him uh, last term. Quiet guy. He pulls me aside and he says, could I talk to you after class? So after class, I spoke with him. And again, in, in typical Native American fashion, he wasn't looking me in the eye. He was looking over there as he, as he spoke to me. He says, I can't stand it anymore. I'm going crazy. All the things that I've experienced, they keep flashing back before my eyes. So this is, what, this is what the Native American people are dealing with. This is what the youth are dealing with on a day-by-day basis. Out in Pine Ridge, they're coming up with a lot of suicide packs now where, where two or three uh, kids will say, yep, we'll do it together. Um, now, there is Native American traditional religion. Uh, I've learned more about that sometimes than I think I want to know. There is real power there. But it, it, it's not a religion of love. It's a religion of fear. And so the Native American youth, they need some help. They need a new beginning. They need a new day. And that's where Mokaham Ministry Center comes in. Mokaham in Ojibwe means sunrise or a new beginning. Uh, when Mission to the World asked Susan and I to work with, uh, work to find out everything that we can about Bible training or tertiary, well, tertiary Bible training for Native American people. There were a couple of options that we had to look at. In the end, we went to Mokaham Ministry Center, where I'm currently working as the Director of Education there. Now, just a little bit, I'll just show you our class from this past year, or at least some of them. This is our first year students. The first year is a discipleship program. It's a one-year type thing that, that ends with a certificate. Uh, and you can take that certificate and go back into your congregation saying thank you very much for the training and be a better leader within your congregation. Uh, we hope that we give them the skills to help them to walk with the Lord and to kind of maintain, maintain themselves that way, to, to know what to do. The discipleship program really consists of three areas. One is biblical education, which is really my ballywick. That's what I have to do. And then we also have ministry skills, which were, they're involved in churches, they're involved in, in exercising their gifts, learning their gifts, and so forth, and even in life skills. Well, we make sure that our students get at least 20 hours of Bible instruction per week. That's what, what we're doing with them. And wherever possible, we use Native American instructors. Does anybody know this man? Have you heard of an organization called CHIEF? Okay, this is here on CLOS. It stand, CHIEF stands for, it's an acronym for... Um, Something that I can't remember. Um, but they are affiliated with Mission to the World. Uh, 
And uh, Huron was one of the first people I met to introduce me to, and Susan to Native American ministry. He is one of several Native American instructors that we have coming into our classroom to teach modules. Our modules are a week long, so the instructor, we, we're able to draw talent from different places. We're able to draw gifted teachers from around everywhere. So, But not all the learning happens in the classroom. So much of it goes on in an informal basis. Uh, for instance, like this is a young lady here with Susan that really wanted to learn about flannel graph. Do you all remember flannel graph? How many of you remember flannel graph? Okay, I'm looking to see if any young people actually do because generally they don't. This is what they know, PowerPoints. Guess what? Flannel graph is on the rise. It's making a resurgence. And so this young lady wanted to learn to use flannel graph because she was working with children at that time. So this is just one of the informal ways outside the classroom that we're teaching different things, ministry skills in this instance. But that's not all we had them do. Um, life skills, some of, the, some of our students really hadn't had to work at much of anything, but uh, they're on our campus at Mocum Ministry Center. You know, it's a big center. There's a lot of work to be done. So it seemed like every fall they're raking leaves, you know. I had a student uh, say to me one time, and it was about, I guess, about March. He says, you know, we raked leaves all fall and we shoveled snow all winter. He didn't realize they had three or four months of shoveling left to do. Um, but this, this is what our discipleship program consists of. Now, if, if you can convince me, if you're a student and at the end of year one, you can convince me and two or three other mean old men that you have a call to the ministry, that you can articulate that call to the ministry, that you can put it in writing, then you can apply to us for what we call the ministry certificate. It's beyond the discipleship certificate. You have to have the discipleship certificate. And then you can go two additional years and get training for a Native American pulpit, training for ministry, training for missions. And so... Uh, this is the way that particular program works. You have the second year, which you see on the left-hand side, and then a third year. Now, the beauty of the third year is, I'm not going to bore you with this, the beauty of the third year is that we have such total flexibility. We just had a young man going to Mongolia, and he's currently doing an internship in Wisconsin uh, with a Mohican tribe. So we're, we're giving them experiences. Well, who's this guy? I have to introduce you to Big Mike. Michael is a, um, he's a Muscogee Creek from Oklahoma. Um, Michael came to us, and uh, he was actually there the year before I got there. He went for the year, got the discipleship certificate, didn't come back the next year. But he came back last year to us. Now, Michael has a very unique testimony. Michael was a drug dealer, an alcoholic. He's the one that actually died in, in an accident, alcohol-related accident, and they resuscitated him. And um, interestingly enough, as soon as he got out of the hospital, he went right to the liquor store. And it took a while uh, for the Lord to get his attention. His father died, whom he loved dearly, and, and his life began to spiral downward just tremendously. And then one day, because he was raised in a church, 
You know, he, he had gone through the motions, and his, his old pastor came to him and said, I want you to go somewhere with me. I want you to go to this thing called the Warrior Leadership Summit. Does anybody know what that is? Ever heard of it? It's held in Roach. Um, Ro- where is Roach? Oklahoma? What's that? Okay, well, anyhow, and it's held every year, and they they have a large, large number of Native American kids that come to the Warrior Leadership Summit to hear um, to hear messages about the gospel. Now, now Mike went there, and he just went there for the fun of it. But then someone preached a message that really got his attention, and there there were three things that really really affected him. He says, you know, the the, the preacher said. You cannot be a warrior if you are a deserter, if you're a prisoner of war, or if you're dead. He said, you know, I, I was a deserter. I hated God. He took my father. I couldn't stand the thought of him being in hell. And I've run from him all my life. He said, I was a prisoner of war because alcohol held me captive. You know, I could not break the cycle. And what's more, I was dead. I, he, he was literally dead at one point. And God used that to touch his heart and converted him. Now, Michael, at this point, everybody loves him. I took him to Sturgis to preach to PCA churches out there. And he said, when he got in the pulpit, he said, You know, um, I always wanted to come to Sturgis, but I never thought I'd be preaching the gospel here. <laughs> Uh, things, you know, Michael wasn't always the preacher that he is now. The truth of the matter is, last year in his second year, uh, he, had, he had not been in pulpit. He had given his testimony a lot of times. He'd give his testimony to a fence post, and the fence post might be converted. Um, but Michael had never spoken from the pulpit, and it was time. And uh, we arranged for him to do so, and and uh, you know the funny thing is, Michael didn't have any clothes. Now we guys we don't notice that sort of thing, but but Susan picked up on it and mentioned it to me. So she took him out to Penny's and bought him some preacher clothes and that sort of thing. And and we got him. Well, actually, she got him ready for the pulpit as far as the way he looked and so forth. But uh, on the day that he was going to preach, went up to him as soon as we we got there at the church. How you doing, Michael? He said, oh, I didn't sleep too well last night. (laughs) He was worried. Well, you know, um, he got into the pulpit. Oh, by the way, doesn't he clean up real nice? He got into the pulpit and he preached his heart out. Now, it wasn't the most eloquent sermon I've ever heard. And it wasn't the, the greatest expository message that I've ever heard. But he preached from the heart. And the Lord used it. You know, um... When it comes down to it, you know, we have our program there, and we have our modules, we have our our ministry training and so forth, but that is not what I really consider to be the heart of the program. The heart of the program, as I really see it, is individual mentoring. Each one of our staff people are assigned a student, and we spend time with that student. In in this case, this past year, I had the uh, privilege spending a lot of time with Big Mike, even to the point of helping him get his Minnesota driver's license. You know, he'd driven for years, but he never had a driver's license. Now, now he's legal. <laughs> so it, discipleship training and ministry training happens 
Not because of what goes on in the class, classroom. That helps. But it happens because of relationships. And let's be honest, folks. The Native American population just doesn't trust us white folks too much. I can't understand why. But the truth of the matter is, we have to earn their trust. They have to see in us a real love of Jesus and a real love for them. And so, we spend a lot of time with our students. Uh, for instance, uh, Susan uh, worked with this young lady this past year. This is Alicia. Alicia came to us for Bible training. She already had a bachelor's degree in philosophy when she came. So it was a good year for her. She really grew in grace. And uh, again, it's all about relationships. Our first year there, we had our students out for a Thanksgiving dinner. You know, we spent lots of time with them. But how many of you can really say that you had real Indians in your home on Thanksgiving? So it was quite an opportunity for us. We, we love the ministry. It's demanding of us. I thought South Africa was taxing. But this is South Africa on steroids for us. The ministry, you know, it, 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 it takes your whole being. It'll take everything that you can give it. So we, um, we are thrilled to be able to, to be involved in this ministry. Now, I mentioned to you the difficulties that we face. I'm going to be very candid and honest with you. This group right here that I showed you a picture of earlier, this was our starting first-year class. Um, we had two other students, the ministry program. One of them was Big Mike. Well, yesterday, this is what we graduated. Three of those. Where are the rest of them? They were drawn back to the tribe. They were drawn back to family. They were drawn back to old ways. The pull was too strong. <laughs> as, as Tim Keller has said in one of his sermons, sermons. The, the demon was just in too deep. It's going to take a lot to get it out. And, um, and so we ask that, that you would pray for us. It is my dream and my vision. And this is something that we'll be casting for uh, the Native American Field Council a week and a half, just to try to get some ideas, is to see. We have the Discipleship Center in Bemidji, first year. With that, we have the Ministry Training Center. Now, if we have, it's a small campus, if we have eight um, discipleship students, how many are realistically going to be called into the Ministry Center? Not so many. Leaders aren't being produced so fast. But, but, what if we, what if we retained that Ministry Center there and had the discipleship center, but not just there. What if we had one with the Lummi tribe, a discipleship center? What if we had one there in Cherokee? What if we had one there near Sturgis? And, 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 and the list goes on. What if we could develop those? And they, as, as they find people that are called to the ministry, could channel, funnel them into the ministry training center there at Mocom. And so we could, produ we could be producing more leaders than we are. But it's going to take time. You know what it's going to take. It's going to take people that are called to this sort of work. It's going to take resources. It's going to take property. But guess what? I, I, I think there are people out there 
that are catching the vision for this. And so, in the meantime, we're going to try to be faithful. Uh, Susan and I are, uh, the rest of the staff are, to try to do the work. But we want to see some expansion, and we're asking God for that. Again, um, I think this is a good verse to kind of sum up things for us. From Colossians, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is the work that God has called us to. And I know that this is close to your heart because you're involved in it too. And so we would ask that you would pray for us. We need your partnership. Pray for Mokaham Ministry Center. And um, let's see how much time we got. I think I've got time for a few questions. You can direct them either to my, my wife or me. She might be able to give you a different perspective on things. And you can turn on the lights. Thank you. Have we got any questions? Yes. Does uh, Mokaham invite Native Americans from all tribes around the U.S.? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, if there were people in South America that wanted to come, we'd be open to that too. You know, you just always run into the logistic problems there. But wouldn't that be good? We consider discipleship centers in other areas too. That would make it more accessible. Um, but yes, the only stipulation is you have to be Native American. You know, and uh, the running joke is um, we we have a fellow on our staff who's Cherokee, so he wouldn't mind me sharing this. It seems like every white person that I run into in the United States says I'm part Cherokee. And so, uh, except for me, I can't find any Cherokee blood in me. You'd have to be a little bit more Native American than those of that say, uh, yeah, I'm part Cherokee. It, Could you relate your experience working with the Native American culture with like a foreign mission? It seems like it's a very perfect foreign mission in, in, within our own nation. Yes. Absolutely. You are dealing with whole different culture groups, often different, sometimes different languages, and sovereign nations in many instances. So, you know, this is why it can be mission to the world as well as mission to North America. Now, if that was what you were asking, was that, or were you asking about our... Well, it's a very different culture than ours, right? Absolutely. It takes some learning. It does. We were helped because of all our years in Africa, you would be surprised the similarities between the African traditional religions and the Native American culture. The shamanism, which in South Africa was called Sango they were called Sangomas, the ancestral veneration, the um, even the idea of the drums and religious ceremonies. The idea of, of curses and hexes and that sort of thing. You know, the spiritual warfare is similar in so many ways. Uh, did I leave out anything there? Um, oh, yeah. It, it is. Um, who was it said, um, uh, we are, therefore I am, the idea of community. Um, 
in South Africa, it was called Ubuntu, the spirit of Ubuntu. You know, the community makes us who we are, and we serve our brothers and sisters. We, as with Western mindset, we're rugged individualists, you know, but uh, they are more community-minded. And um, it's funny, Wes and I were talking last night, and uh, he made the statement, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, it, you get promising Native American students in college but if something happened back home, something happened in family, boom, they're out of there. Because family comes first. Tribe comes first. People come first. Their people come first. And so uh, you have a much stronger sense of that in, in their community. And it was the same in Africa. Any other questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yes, uh, Gloria, we we have um, a single men's dorm. We have a single ladies' dorm. We're kind of limited on space for single ladies. Uh, if you come and you're married, you have to find a place to live somewhere else. These are just the logistic problems of what we're working through. This coming year will be year seven. As far as um, uh, the cost, um, I was told that it, there's an estimated cost of about $10,000 a person per year, but they only have to come up with $3,000 on their own. Um, scholarships are coming in from different places, and um, many times for the students themselves, they might have supporting churches or they may be working, have some money saved up and so forth. And so that's where the money comes from for them. Yes, Wes. Is that, is that the same Yep. Yeah, it is. And we found, we found that the Huron's organization is called Christian Hope Indian Eskimo Thank you very much. Those, those iPads and, and phones come in handy, don't they? All right. Any other questions? Yes. It seems like part of the challenge for, say, someone who's struggling with uh, whether to take some sort of ministry leadership role is to, to see enough what it, it looks like to be able to take sort of holy risks. So a kid, maybe maybe they do or don't have an example of someone who's had advanced education in their family, mm-hmm. um, who is asked to pony up a bunch of money. Um, you, you all have like, you know, these are the 12 people you could look like in 10 years. To give them a sense of, like, you know, like, you know, are some of them sort of office managers and part-time preachers? Are some of them, like, how do you sort of show them that taking this risk now mm-hmm. um, is, um, is both uh, faith-informed and not foolhardy? Yeah. Okay, that is part of the rub. And we do have some examples bearing in mind that Native American Christian leadership is few and far between. But we have people like Huron, you know, that's working with ministry. We have people like um, Native American named Rob Motto, who teaches interpersonal relationships for our first-year students, who is a has a construction company. Uh, we have 
different people in different walks of life. There's, there's even, even Wally. Wally is, he's 70 years old, and he's kind of, he was in, in and out of the church where I spoke. Well, Wally's retired from government service and has all kinds of time. Well, he, he um, has a place out in Leech Lake and invited us, our students, over. He was doing a maple sugar gathering. Had, had us and students out for it. We rode his ATV and, and, uh, and cooked hot dogs over the fire while, while the sugar was being made. And, and so we have different people that it, it's just a question of finding them and plugging them in. And it has been, I've worked with the director of the program, who's in Navajo. Um, our goal for this coming year was to have 30% of our instructors Native American. Guess what? I think we're going to be able to do it if, if the people that we've asked will say yes. And there will be diff- people from different areas of life. And uh, so, yeah, we're shooting toward this. The more exposure to we can give to them and say, yes, here's what a Native American Christian family should look like. Here's what you can do in the business world as a Native American Christian and, or, or as a full-time Christian worker or as a tent maker, so to speak. That is, is something that we need more of. Okay, I think we're about out of time. So, uh, again, we thank you for your time, and uh, please remember us in prayer. It's been a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. I'm going to close by praying for uh, the cars. I also want to pray for uh, Wes and Scott, I believe. Is it just the two of you all that are going out this week? And and who? Oh, Joe Holbus. Okay. Is Joe here? Okay. Okay. So, um, so we're sending out a, a smaller team this week. I think you guys are doing some spraying. Is that right? Out at, at, at Crow Creek this week. So let me close this in prayer and I'll pray for the cars and their work. Um, and the, the, the wonderful example of God's providence of our getting to know you all and, and just how that's all come to pass. And, uh, for, uh, many fruitful years of, of engagement in the future. Um, and then also for our team that's going out. So let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much uh, for the way that you are at work in your creation. And we're so thankful when we get opportunities to see um, very tangible ways that that's the case. We thank you so much for Bill and Susan and for bringing them to Minnesota. Um, I'm sure that in many ways it's not exactly how they would have envisioned it uh, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, But even as he preached this morning, uh, we know that you are at work and causing uh, your people to grow and to be used to be a blessing uh, to your church and beyond. And so we thank you so much for them. We thank you for their servants' hearts. We thank you for the way that you're using them to be a blessing uh, in the Native American community uh, in northern Minnesota and far beyond that. We thank you for the work um, of the discipleship and ministry training centers that have already um, been doing good work, and we pray that that would continue in significant ways. We pray that you would raise up um, young people, that they would have a desire to uh, to serve you and to uh, serve Native American people around the world. Father, we pray that uh, that you would give them the resources that they need, uh, including financial.
financial, the financial resources, the people resources. Pray particularly for um, what Bill was sharing us, sharing with us regarding the need for people, uh, Native American men and women, uh, who are uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are living out their faith in very significant ways in their lives. We pray that you would uh, raise up more people like that so that they might be used as uh, witnesses, as examples, as mentors. Father, we pray that you would be with the cars as they leave us today and head further south uh, to continue talking about what you're doing um, and also participating in um, uh, the activities at the MTW office uh, next week uh, as they think about Native American ministry around the country. Pray you would bless their travels and uh, bring them back home safely. Father, we also want to pray for Wes and for Scott and for Joe as they go out this week to Crow Creek. Um, we pray that you would watch over them and keep them safe along the way, keep them safe as they work, um, and bring them home safely. We pray for good relationships, uh, not only between the three of them, that they, they might grow closer to one another, but also, Father, that you would help uh, some good conversations and relationships to, to begin uh, with uh, folks on the reservation. We pray that you would continue to be at work, not only helping us to be a blessing to them, Father, but we thank you for the ways that our brothers and sisters in Christ on the reservation are a blessing to us. Help us to learn from them and help us to be a blessing and that you might use us to help teach them as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Yeah.